Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Well, here we are this morning, finishing the third in our series called The Resurrected Life. And if you haven't been with us basically since Easter, what we've been doing is exploring what is it about the Christian faith that makes a difference? What is it meant to look like? If Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, which we believe that, as a follower of Jesus, that's one of the prerequisites, because if he didn't, then we're wasting our time. But we believe that he did, and so Easter is true. Easter happened, which means if that is true, then what, what does that mean for us? What do we do with that? And that's what this whole series has been about so far. Hey, I, um, anyone here like comic books? A couple? Anyone ever read a comic book? Yeah, sweet, thank you. Let's get that squared away. Everyone familiar with Batman? Yes? Probably in different forms. Like, it, Batman has had different forms over the years, from the TV series, Kapow! And the big flashes on the screen. See, oh, I'm more cultured than you realize. <laughs> one of my favorite Batman series is um, the one that was done by Christopher Nolan. And my, Eloise, my wife's a massive movie fan, one of a really favorite of hers as well. Um, is, and there's a trilogy of Batman movies, which you may have seen. Um, and the first one of those is called Batman Begins. And it's really about the formation of and the beginning of Batman's story. As you, you would all know, it's Bruce Wayne. And, and a significant part of the story is the transformation of this rich guy through his kung fu and his mastery training and all that sort of carry on that he does. And his strength training. And you see him regularly just sort of, bam, on the ground, just doing push-ups and push-ups and push-ups and push-ups and getting himself stronger and, and getting himself built and all that sort of carry on. And, and um, man, I did the push-up challenge a couple of years ago where you do like 3,000 push-ups in 25 days. It sucks. I don't enjoy it. And it's hard. But I felt I was pretty confident that after that month had finished of doing all those push-ups that I was stronger. And there's a moment in the movie where, um, where there's a, the house, there's an, it's sort of an incident happens. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. An incident happens and uh, the house starts to, to fall in. And then there's a moment where Batman, Bruce Wayne, gets pinned by a falling wooden column. And he's stuck there. And his butler... It's, it's Alfred, isn't it? it? His butler, Alfred, comes to, to his aid, and he says to him, what's the point of all the push-ups if you can't move a silly little log? Now, I don't know how silly and small the thing was, but 
It's such a vivid idea. This idea that for you and I, we've got this journey that we are on. And there's a whole bunch of things that we do in our Christian faith and in our journey as a follower of Jesus. And the question that we are left with is, what difference does it make? Does it make any difference at all in our life? Because we can do all the right Christian stuff, but does it make any difference in the end? And that's the question that I want to answer with the remainder of our time today, is to explore this idea. Man, this thing's bugging me today. To explore this idea of what difference does the Christian faith actually make in our life? But to acknowledging that we had a week off last week for our intergenerational service, I wanted to just quickly recap, if I can. I wanted to give us a quick recap of where we've been in the first couple of weeks. I preached the first week of our series and explored a significant myth with that many Christians and maybe even some of you might have believed. And if you're not a Christian in your personal journey, you might have discovered that this was a barrier to your journey of faith. And that is that becoming a follower of Jesus is about earning our way to God. And that growing up in the faith is about working harder, about doing more, about getting better, about white-knuckling our way through life to just be a better Christian if we can. And what I discussed and what we discovered during that first week is that's not actually what Jesus taught. And that's not what Jesus taught, that we have to white-knuckle our way through the faith. That's right. That's not actually the journey of the Christian faith. Jesus put a whole bunch of things out there and said, you need to love one another. That's how people will know you are my disciples. But he said, I'm not just going to leave you with that command, which is beyond your capacity and good luck. No, no, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll leave someone with you who will help you do this impossible task which I have called you to do. You know, that, that task where we have to forgive someone that hurt us, that task where we have to love someone that we don't like, the task of showing compassion when we would rather not. And I talked about what the Holy Spirit does for us. So the Holy Spirit is, is a person, a being, by the way, if you didn't know that. But the Holy Spirit does sort of three key things. The Holy Spirit comforts us, reminds us that we are not alone in our journey of faith, that even when we don't have other people around us, we have God with us, God around us, God beside us. We also learn that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It highlights for us in our life the places that we are living life that is just not good for us. It's not, and this is not a, a shame or a guilt thing. Instead, this is the Holy Spirit saying, oh, you're, you're made for more than that. You realize that that's not good for you. God has something better in store for you. And that's what conviction is. It's just being, it's being reminded that there is more in store for your life than that. And it's also, there's something that happens where it transforms our worldview, where that conviction develops within us a growing discontent. I call it a crystallization of discontent. You ever had that moment where you go, 
I'm done with this. I'm done with smoking. I'm done with drinking. I'm done with eating too much. I'm done with, you know, whatever it is for you. That moment, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, of the things in your life that separate you from the heart of God. That's what that is. The Holy Spirit does that. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit counsels us, leads us, guides us. And that that can happen through the Scriptures, but it can also happen through other followers of Jesus. Because if there's a follower of Jesus next to you, they've got the Holy Spirit in them too. Which means something they have to say might be something you need to hear. And sometimes, if we're honest, we need to remember that that includes our spouse or our partner. That when we don't want to hear what they've got to say, just maybe that's God telling you to pick your clothes up off the floor. Or put the dishes away. Or something like that. I don't know. But that was week one. The Holy Spirit is there to help us get this Christian journey right. And, and the second week, Daryl did an, a marvelous job. But I've got to tell you, brother, I like preaching that passage. So he, he threw me under the bus and said, Josh just got me up here because he didn't, want me, he didn't want to preach this one himself. But no, I really like preaching Romans. In fact, we're going to do a whole stack on Romans later in the year. But he talked about the tension that we have as followers of Jesus that we live life a certain, we're called to live life a certain way, and so often we struggle with it. We don't measure up to it. And what do we do with that? Do we just allow that shame and guilt and whatever to consume us? No. The Spirit works within us to call us forward, to remind us there is more to life. And that every time we stumble, it actually serves as an opportunity for us to look back and see where God is at work in and through our life. Where we can look back at a moment and see that actually it's Jesus' blood is signed across all of those mistakes and all of that brokenness. And so when we look back, we don't see guilt, shame, and regret. We see the love of Jesus in our past. What a gift that is in our life. The Holy Spirit helps us to deal with that, and even more than that, the Holy Spirit is the gift that reminds us we are not a slave to that sin anymore, that it has no power, it has no control, that we get to step into something new, that God has set us free, and whom the Son sets free, I've already said it today, is free indeed. And so that brings us to today's question that I posed. Is this resurrected life, how does it make any difference at all? Is it making a difference at all? What's the point of all this transformation? Is it just personal salvation and self-improvement? Is that what the Christian journey is? Or is there more to it than that? Is there something else that God has called us to do? Is there something else that God has called us to bring to the world to make a difference? Is there more? Spoiler alert, I think there is. I think there's something else. There's another element to all of this that's not about you and me, that's not about our personal salvation. And if I'm honest, that's probably one of the greatest problems in the Christian church in our era of the world. However long you want to stretch that out to, we'll call it Christendom or whatever, but it's the greatest problem that 
our certainly late 20th and early 21st century Christian experience, the great problem is that we made faith about us. Look at the songs is the greatest indicator of that. I, me, God. That's what it is. And what I want to remind us of this morning is that's not all it is. So that's what we want to spend the rest of our time looking at. So to guide our conversation today, and we're headed to the New Testament. We're headed to a, uh, a letter called to the church in Colossae in the first century. Colossians, it is, which is in modern-day Turkey. Did you know that name had changed, by the way? Does everyone know that? It's not Turkey anymore. It's Turkey. There you go. I learned that a little while back. But there you go. So modern-day Turkey is where it is. And fun fact is that Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, the one who planted most of the churches in, uh, that we read about letters to in the New Testament, wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, he never visited this church. He was just asked to write a letter to them, a pastoral letter. So there you go. And to give you a sort of a broader picture of this letter before we jump into the passage, because we're headed to chapter 3, but to be faithful to the text, we, we go a little bit broader than that. The first chapter, Paul writes about the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is better and higher and more significant than anyone or anything in all of creation. He spends a chapter talking about that. And then he talks about why and talks about what Jesus has done in chapter 3, sorry, in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 is the impact of what Jesus has done on our lives and on the world around us. And it talks about the difference that that being a follower of Jesus ought to make in and through our life. So that's what we're going to be looking at with our time together. So the passage should be up on the screen. Chapter 3, if you've got the Bible with you and you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, you can do that. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen as well. And he says, Therefore, now whenever you see therefore in Scriptures, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. Whenever you see therefore, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. There's always something else, a bigger picture in mind. It's like, given that all of this exists, therefore you should, or therefore you must, or therefore we are called And the picture that we have preceding all of this is because of what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, as God's chosen people, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I want to pause there. The first point that I want to explore with us this morning is the motivation behind all that we are called to do. Because remember, this is not a white-knuckling sort of faith. This is not a... Do more and it will go better type idea. It's not. What Paul needs us to understand before he gets to the what we're called to do and what our life's called to look like, he reminds us of who we are. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, before we get to what you've got to do, you've got to realize who you are, and that is that God, you are beloved Children of the living God. You are beloved sons and daughters of God. And so we have to push out of our hearts the lies 
if I've got to be honest, the lies of the enemy that say that we are a better or worse Christian based and the way that we are worthy of God's love based on how we get all of what we're going to talk about next right. Maybe all you need to hear this morning is that you are loved by God no matter how good a Christian you feel like you are. That's got nothing to do with it. God loves you no matter what. And so that's our motivation for this, is that therefore, because you are God's chosen people, because you are holy and dearly loved, we're called to do some stuff. We're called to see that there's a few things within our life that look a little different. That there's some things that need to change because we are already loved by God, not to gain God's love. I hope that's clear. But he goes on to say, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Now, congratulations, you all passed that one this morning. We all did. We clothed ourselves this morning. Not an unusual experience for all of us, hopefully. An important thing. But I think it's significant that he uses this, this analogy, this description, this metaphor, I suppose is the word, for describing what is to come next. He uses the term, clothe yourself. Why? I think because clothing yourself is not optional. No one had to sit there and think this morning, am I going to get dressed for church or not? Did you? Of course you didn't. There was, wearing no clothes didn't come into the equation, did it? Did it? Some of you are looking not too sure. You're like, Josh, well, to be honest, I've considered it. I hope, well, maybe, I don't know. You can consider it. Just don't do it. It's simple. Because clothing ourselves is not an option, is it? And so what I think is important to realize is that we will clothe ourselves with something, no matter what. Now, well, I'm talking in the physical. Obviously, we're going to wear some clothes and make ourselves look nice and all that sort of stuff. And we know that physically clothing ourselves is optional, but I think it's also true spiritually, relationally. Clothing ourselves is not optional, which means we're going to clothe ourselves with something. Pajamas, maybe. We're not at church, never again. Sorry, I remember during, there was a period about 2016 or early 2017, whenever I wore pajamas to church, I'm sorry, it's not happening again. I'm sorry, no, don't even awe me, like, it's not a good idea. I'm sorry, but let's, let me move on from that. And so Paul starts by saying, this is not optional, you're going to clothe yourself with something. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, what are you wearing? As a follower of Jesus, as one who is loved, dearly beloved, what are you wearing today? What are you wearing in the morning when you get up, when you approach your spouse for the first time, when you talk to the person at the shops, when you talk to your kids, your grandkids, when you write an email to your pastor, what clothing are you wearing is the question that we want to explore today. Because Paul says, if God's Spirit is on the inside of you, then there's some things that should be evident on the outside of you. There are some, there are, there are some things 
there are some things that should start showing up. If God and the Holy Spirit is doing its work on the inside of us as a follower of Jesus, Paul says, then the outside of you should start looking a little bit different. As a result of your relationship with God, the clothing, the things that are obvious on the outside should look a little bit different to what they would otherwise. And Paul is pointing to a really important principle here that we all know really, really well. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus or anything like that to recognize the principle that what's happening on the inside eventually shows up on the outside, doesn't it? You've got a broken leg, it's probably going to impact how you walk. You've got cancer or a significant infection or something going on on the inside, it's going to start showing eventually on the outside, isn't it? For some of us, that's a really vivid illustration of the reality of this. But when you think about it, it is fundamentally true of our physical self. But we're not just physical, we're spiritual. And so the same is fundamentally true of us in the rest of our life, in our walk with Jesus, that what's going on on the inside eventually shows up on the outside. Do you remember Jesus in the Gospels had a go at the Jewish leaders, didn't he? What did, do you remember what he called them when he had a go at them? He had, did it a few times, actually. What did he call them? He called them whitewashed tombs. Now, that's offensive, because what is a tomb? A tomb is dead on the, there is nothing but death on the inside of that. What an offensive thing to say. But what he, he saw, the hearts of these leaders, he saw nothing dead on the inside. And he said, you're whitewashed on the outside, but you're dead. And eventually that's coming out in the way you're leading your, the people of God. And friends, the same is true of us. What we got going on on the inside eventually comes out on the outside. The internal reality eventually becomes evident. And so his point is, If God's love, if God's grace, if God's forgiveness is really taking root in here the way that it ought to as followers of Jesus, if we really get it, like I'm not talking get it here, because we can understand the love of God without ever feeling the love of God, true? I can understand that I'm forgiven without ever feeling forgiven and, and dragging my guilt and shame around. And so, Paul's point is, if we really get this, then our outer life will look different. We will see evidence of it on the outside. And so, what will that look like? If we get this, Paul says, we'll be clothed with something. So, what will it be? And Paul highlights some key things, some virtues, I suppose you could call them. I want to spend a few minutes defining and, ex and explaining these virtues for you. Because if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard these virtues before. This is one of the wedding passages that people choose because it speaks so beautifully of the nature of relationship. But I want to spend a couple of minutes or really the rest of our time exploring this passage because we read these and we think we know what they mean. But when we look at them within the context of all of this, we discover something much richer, something much deeper. And I've read this text a dozen times, but as I studied it this week, 
I learned something, and you might learn something too. Do I learn, we like learning something in church, don't we? Absolutely we do. So what are we called to clothe ourselves with? We're called to clothe ourselves firstly with compassion. Compassion. The, the, the word, the original word in the Greek that Paul would have written for this is splonknon. Can you say that one with me? You're like, I don't know what he said. Uh, bless you, I think. No, splonk, non. Splonk, non. Cram it together, splonk, non. With a bit of phlegm if you need it, but stay safe, you know, whatever. Splonk, non. It talks about compassion. And this idea is more than simply pitying someone, more than simply commenting on Facebook when you hear someone struggling, oh, I'm praying for you. It's more than simply going, oh, I'm sorry that that's happening for you. This concept of compassion is this idea of a visceral empathy, a deep-seated empathy within us that drives us to action. This concept of splunknon is actually used to describe the bow, the bow in here, down here. Because in the ancient world, they believed the bow, not the heart, the bow, the guts, was the center of the being down here. Now, some of you still agree with that. That sometimes, you know, look, whatever this says is happening, that's what's happening, you know? So maybe it is still the center of our being in some ways. But in the ancient world, it was this idea of splonknon was this idea of a compassion you feel in your guts, something that you can't not do something about. It's beyond just pity. And Jesus in the Gospels becomes the example of this compassion, a compassion that's followed by action, something you can't leave undone. He saw the sick and He healed them. He saw the hungry and He fed them. He saw the lost and He helped them to be found. He saw the hurting and He wept. With them. Friends, that is what compassion looks like. It's empathy within us that results in outward action. And the thing that really drives this home for us is it's empathy and compassion even when what they're going through is self-inflicted. Because that's the way Jesus did it for us. How many times do we find ourselves in a spot of bother, in brokenness, guilt and shame because of something we've done? Me, every single day, in some form, I screw up. And I'm the professional Christian in the room, and I'll own that. And every single day, Jesus has compassion upon me and helps me to come out of that place. We're called to do the same. That's the sort of compassion that we are called to live out. Clothe yourselves with a compassion that helps those around you, to be caring before we're judging, to not make the assessment of what we think about their situation before we help another person. Friends, that is what the resurrected life is called to look like. But he continues on and says, what about kindness? Kindness. In our life group, we sort of coined this idea of kindness is love in action. Kindness is love on the move. But in this, in the, in the original language, it's literally loaning another your strength. 
Anyone ever been to the gym? Three of you, brilliant. Some co-gym people, appreciate that. Anyone done sort of bench press or any sort of significant weightlifting? A few of us, great. It, it shows, you're looking good, folks. You're looking good. One of the things that, one of the, the things that happens is so often when, if you're really pushing yourself on the bench press, we might have seen a, a video online about someone failing at this, is you, you're pushing the weight off of your chest and eventually too you can't anymore. And if you're really pushing yourself, you might find yourself in a moment where you can't get it back up on the rack. And it's, it's sort of sitting here and you're def, desperately trying to press it away from you so you don't die <laughs> to be honest. And then someone will come in and they're called a spotter. Hopefully a friend or someone that's just watching you have the life flash before your eyes for a moment in time. And they come and what do they do? They lend you their strength. And they help you to get that bar back on the rack. That's what this is. Kindness is lending our strength to another that they might be able to, in some cases, survive. But in other cases, just to get by with what they had hoped to do. Helping another that is struggling. And again, that struggle might have been self-inflicted, but friends, that's the vision of kindness that we're talking about here. And that's why selfishness and indifference and watching someone else just suffer is not a part of the Christian faith that doesn't belong here regardless of how they got where they got, it does not belong as a part of the Christian church. Why? Because Paul said the resurrected life is going to look like kindness, compassion and kindness in our life. If the Spirit is at work, it should be defined by kindness. But he continues with gentleness. Sorry, humility first. Humility. Yeah, you're right. He does. Humility. What is humility? Humility is not merely deflecting the credit when great things happen. We've all seen people that do that, right? Oh, you're such a great singer. Oh, stop. That's all God. In fact, everyone you've ever seen except a, 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 like an award at the Golden Globes or something like that, they walk up on stage, oh, firstly, I'd like to thank God for giving me this honor. Sorry, that's a terrible American accent. But what a, what a trite thing to say. And look, it might be true in some sense, but this is more than that. More than just deflecting the credit to God in some sort of false sense of humility. This is existing with the implicit understanding that you and I are not God. That's what humility is. It's realizing that we are not God, that the world does not revolve around us. And that there are other people that matter. That's what humility looks like. Realizing the world is not about you. And I'm not talking about the self-deprecating sort of existence. Where you become a doormat and you just let people walk over you all the time. That's not what this is. That's not what humility is. I'm talking about an accurate, God-inspired assessment of yourself who you are, and your place in the world. That is what true humility is. C.S. Lewis, and I've talked about this before, puts it this way, humility is not thinking of yourself, it's not thinking less of yourself, sorry, it's thinking of yourself 
less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that's exactly what we saw Jesus do. For he could not have done what he did if he just self-deprecated himself and said, oh, I'm, I'll just, I'm, I'm not that good, it's not going to really matter that much. No, he was the Son of God. He came as the Son of God and he gave his life as the Son of God. And if he didn't do that, it wouldn't have worked. So he wasn't any less. He just thought of himself less for the sake of the world. Friends, that is what humility looks like. He used his authority for our sake. And so the resurrected life, a life as a follower of Jesus, ought, us having, have, ought to have us thinking of other people more than we're thinking of ourselves. In fact, I heard an interesting thing. A couple of, I uh, was listening to a podcast. No, I'm not going to go there. We don't have time. Let's keep moving. Gentleness. He continues with gentleness. Gentleness is where we see a lot of guys glaze over. Because us guys need to have it all together. We need to be strong and courageous and all that sort of stuff that we read about in the Old Testament and all of that. So gentleness, where does that fit into the Christian life for us? The thing that most people do is they associate gentleness with weakness, but it's not the same thing. This term refers to, in the ancient text, it refers to bridled strength bridled strength. And the best way I have learned to understand this was an illustration of instead of operating at my strength, at my absolute strength, instead with courtesy and respect, not some sort of negative thing, instead of courtesy, not condescension, that was the word I was thinking of, with courtesy and respect, I meet you where you are at. In my strength, I meet you where you are. And the best illustration I've thought of with this is that this is a hand, right? You've all got a, hopefully a couple of them. And what's this able to do? It's got a strength that can do all sorts of things. And it's capable of picking up a dumbbell, a medium-sized child, and a contact lens. How can it do all of those things? Well, at some point, we learn to bridle, to restrain, to nuance our strength for the sake of the thing that we, that we are engaging with. And this idea of gentleness is that in our journey of faith, that we meet other people where they are at, that in our strength, if there's something that we are strong in, faith or, or something, wisdom, discernment, that we meet those people where they are at that are struggling. That's what the resurrected life is called to look like, not to power up over others, but instead with gentleness to meet people where they are. And then he says patience. Patience is the one that I struggle with the most because I'm a parent of young children. And some of you struggle with patience too. Some of you are looking at the clock on my left that doesn't work. Wondering, why is this going? Patience. And this idea is reflected with two words that are crammed together. Extreme heat over time. Two words 
two ancient words crammed together to make a single principle or a single idea. The idea of bearing a great heat over an increased period of time is, is the idea that we need to understand. That's what patience looks like. It means that as a follower of Jesus, as one that is called to clothe ourselves with patience, it means we should be able to bear with other people for, who are painful for longer periods of time. That is what the Christian life is meant to look like. Do you agree with that? Is that your experience of Christians? We're meant to have a longer fuse. We're meant to be able to tolerate others. We don't have to like their behavior. We just don't let it consume us. And if I'm honest, this one is one of my key indicators that my spiritual life is out of balance. Is that it's the when I am just short with everybody, that I have no patience for my children, no patience for Eloise, no patience for you. I'll be honest about that. When I roll my eyes at emails that start coming in about this or that, when I, when I look at my calendar and go, oh, I just don't have time for this crap. That is an indicator to me when my patience is gone. When I sit in church council meetings, and actually I'm the one that makes them go long. When my, he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> patience, brother. Sorry, that was a call out. Sorry, Chris. That's an indicator to me that things are not going right for me in my inner life with God. That, I'm, that God is not my center for whatever reason I'm out of balance is when I don't have patience. When I'm not able to bear with one another, with other people that I ought to bear with. Particularly my kids, that's a red flag. And so these, I believe that these five virtues, if we zoom out for a little bit, I believe that all of these can serve as spiritual indicators for where we're at between us and God. Because Paul says, this is the reality. It's consistent with everything else that we know of personal health. What's happening in the inside shows on the outside. So when the inside is not healthy, the outside doesn't look healthy. So we might be getting three out of six of these. Is it six? Five. We might be getting three of these right. And the other two we're struggling with. It shows us there's something not quite right about the inside. And Paul says, if we are to live this resurrected life, we need to clothe ourselves with all of this stuff. Our life ought to look like this, because clothing is not optional. And so the question becomes, what are we wearing? And then he finishes the passage with giving us the picture of what we're capable of doing when all of these things are present in our life. He says we're capable of bearing with one another, forgiving one another. When we're humble, when we're not the center of the world, when we've got compassion, gentleness, kindness, then we're capable of bearing with one another's crap and we're capable of forgiving other people. He says that's what it will look like, forgiving one another. How much? As much as the Lord has forgiven you. 
And this is not just forgiveness. And what it's talking about is the willingness to give up the right to seek retribution for what someone else has done to you. Not minimizing what they have done, but realizing that God's grace stands taller than than the actions that they've done to hurt you. Because God's grace stands taller over the things you've done to hurt others. That's that, it's that realization. And he summarizes like this. He says, on top of it all, put on love. On top of it all, put on love that binds it all together. And in this, Paul just simply points back to the teaching of Jesus. It says, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? How will we be known that we are His disciples? By the way that we love one another. It's as simple and as complicated as that, but everything we've talked about, that is just love. Love in all of its facets. Love in all of its extraordinary things. And I wonder if if we as a church, if we majored in this stuff, if we realize this is what our life is meant to look like, and when it doesn't, we realize something is wrong between us and God that needs to be corrected. I wonder if, if we got this right, if we majored in this stuff a little bit more, if we would have a greater impact in the world. What do you think? I think so. I'm talking about it, so I must think so. And I believe if we choose to be united on the big stuff, you know, that Jesus was the Son of God and rose from the dead and died for our sins and loves us and wants a relationship with us. If we major on that for us and the world and everything else is secondary, I believe we might see something extraordinary happen in the world. I believe we'll see God's love break through in and through our life. And that, my friends, is the point of the push-ups. Remember I mentioned that? What's the point of all the push-ups? It's that. What's the point of all the getting this Christian life right? It's love. But it's a love that's not about you. It's about the world that God has called us to love. It's an others-focused love. It's a choice to give of ourselves to a world that desperately needs to know. And friends, if, if your faith, if your journey, I'm going to be honest with you, if your faith and your journey with God is just about you, I'm going, to be so, I'm going to press on you and say you've missed something of God's heart. If it's just about you and going to heaven, that's great, and that'll probably happen. But you've missed something wonderful that God wants to do in the world through you. And although I do think that being a Christian is about having a better life and getting better at life, there's so much more that God wants for you. So God's vision for you, I'm going to invite the band back up as we finish. God's vision for you and for your life is that He would make a difference in you, that He would see you transformed through the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. But his heart is that that transformation wouldn't end with you. 
that you wouldn't be the end of the flow. But instead, that he, what, is, what does he say? He says that it will be like a spring of living water flowing up from within us that others might see and experience that love. So what's the point? How does, what's the point of the resurrected life? The resurrected life is about a personal transformation to see a world transformed with God's love. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. So where you at? Do you know that love? Do you experience that love every day? You and God? Because for some of you, it might be, I got it here. And I've known Jesus loves me for 60 years because the Bible tells me so right here. But it's never made the foot and a half journey from your head to your heart. One would argue from your head to your bowels, to the very inner parts of your being. And maybe this morning, you're here just to hear that and nothing else. Your life doesn't look like it should, and it's got nothing to do with striving. It's got more to do with, you just need to know Jesus loves you. That's it. You don't need to earn it. You don't deserve it, but it's yours to receive. Or maybe for you today, it's just a realization that you're missing a couple of things. Your life's not looking the way it ought to, and it's a point for you to look back and realize that something between you and God is not quite right, that you're struggling to be patient. That's Jesus' invitation to say, I need you to come spend some more time with me because I've got some stuff to do in your heart to help you be more loving to the people around you. Or maybe it's just that you need to know that all that God has done in your life is not about you. God's inviting you to look, lift your eyes and see where He's trying to love the world through you. If you'll just see it. So friends, that is the resurrected life. A gift of life to the fullest. Will you take it? And will you use it? to see God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me, church? Loving God, what a gift. You gave your life for us and you were raised to new life so we would find new life in you. But Lord, you said that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of all that I want to do. That there's so much you want to do in and through our life. So Lord, help us, give us the wisdom and the grace to receive what you have for us today. A renewed perspective, a challenge in our heart or a calling to look beyond the horizon of our own concerns and see the love we're called to live out. Wherever this lands for us, Lord. Give us the grace to receive it, the wisdom to know what to do with it courage to live it out. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.